and last week it was my Febreze bottle and, and the skunk smell from down the road. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it happened, but somewhere in the neighborhood last Saturday night, a skunk sprayed something, and, and the whole this whole end of town stunk, um, and it was unreal. I mean, it was it was it was really something. And I I had a moment where I thought, oh, you know, are my dogs inside? And you know, do I need to do anything to make sure that it's not us? And I I sprayed my Febreze around the house, and it wiped out that smell perfectly. I'm here to say, as much as I like Febreze, in particular, blood orange spritz, there's an imperfect <laughs> analogy in this regard. Uh, Monday night at, well, I guess it would be Tuesday morning, uh, my, my dog woke Jess up, and she came down and let him out in the yard. He was barking and going nuts, and, and he, uh, he potentially found the same skunk. I don't know. They're all over, and, and he got sprayed full in the face. And, and we didn't figure that out until he was in the house again. Um, I, my wife woke me up, and the whole house smelled like burning tires. I actually thought the house might be on fire. Uh, I came downstairs, went in the yard with a flashlight, and there was this huge monster demon thing. Um, and uh, um, I, I am here to tell you, like my kids went to school the next day, and and they were immediately, uh, their clothes were changed by the school and everything they owned was put outside. And I, actually, I heard from, uh, from one parent that, that her child came home and told them all about how much my kids stink. Uh, and, and I'm going to go on to say that Febreze does not cut it sometimes. <laughs> it did great last week. This week it was not. Not, not, not nearly enough. Um, I, I, but we'll get into that. And like what, what we're going to be talking about, and actually we're going to talk about this a bit. We're going to talk about what God gives us to deal with the astonishing level of stink that shows up in our lives sometimes. Um, it, it is the case that it happens, right? Not just skunks. <laughs> Not just skunks, but I mean, there are times when people we care about like die, or when people we care about struggle, or when we struggle, or when we fall into sin and can't figure out how to get out of it, or when we get lost, um, we get lost, or we get depressed, or when we're anxious, or when when you know whatever it is, when temptation comes screaming at us and and you can't quite figure out how you're going to get over it. Like we're going to talk about what God does to equip us. And, and I'm talking about the church specifically. This whole series here, the last few sermons, have all been about how, um, how God equips the church and what our purpose as the church is in the world. And we've been doing this by working through the book of Ephesians, right? Um, because Ephesians is one of those letters that's not aimed at a bunch of like specific issues. It is um, to a church about being the church. And we've talked about uh, five so far, five purposes of the church, and I even have an alliteration. Uh, we are here to complete Christ, right? Not that Christ was incomplete or imperfect, but rather that this is the next leg of the mission or the next leg of Christ in this world. And so um, we complete Christ by being his person. We are the body of Christ to the world, right? Like uh, he is the head, and in fact I'm going to use it once, 
Remember we talked about Batman, the Batman cutout? Like he is the head and we are the body. Um, the church is the body of Christ, and our job is to do his work in this world. Um, we are his presence to those around us. We are um, the fulfillment of his plan, the completion of his program, and we are his portrait. We portray Christ to the world in our relationships and how we carry ourselves. Um, and this week we are going to talk about how uh, we are the completion of his power in this world, right? Like how God equips us for, a, for the fight that's in front of us. Um, and we're in Ephesians, but we're going to actually start in Isaiah. Now, stop me if you've heard this one, um, because it's one of those ones I actually was unaware of. I had no idea. I preached this text. Um, I, I, generally, I generally try not to re-preach texts. Um, I, I try to, because there's so much scripture to do, right? Um, and this is one of those instances where I'm re-preaching a text, and um, in this particular instance, I did not know this. So check this out. Um, this is the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 59. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Um, so his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Have we heard that before? actually in the text we're about to do um and the helmet of salvation on his head and he put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak um now there's an interesting thing about this text um in the hebrew bible right uh, when the Hebrew Bible is translated to Greek, there are some weird word choices. And um, in this particular instance, um, we see where Paul, in his writing, quotes the Greek translation sometimes in places where the words are not the most common words. Um, or like he uses words that are the same as what are used for Isaiah's translation. Does that make sense? Like, I know it was a little convoluted, but like, there was this Bible, the LXX, um, or the... Uh, other one that I can't remember the name of at the moment, uh, the Septuagint, and it is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and it gives us all kinds of useful little bits of information regarding how people read it and how they understood it, um, but most of the New Testament guys uh, read that version of the Bible, right? And so sometimes when they quote it, they'll quote it in weird ways, and you'll be like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't match the Old Testament perfectly. Well, no, it matches the LXX. And so in this instance, um, we see where Paul quotes the Greek frequently, and he quotes it so we know that he's pointing back at this. Why does that matter? Well, one of the most popular ways to talk about this text is in terms of, like, the armor that a Roman soldier would carry, right? The gear you would pick up to go out and fight. You'd have your big shield that was square-shaped, and you'd have your, your sword or your spear, and you'd have your armor and everything else. Not in this instance. In this instance, he isn't pointing to the Roman armor, though it would have been very familiar. He's actually pointing back to Isaiah. And the Jewish readers, and like actually probably a lot of the early Christians, because there was no Bible to study at the time, right, except the Old Testament. And so Isaiah like, is chock full of scriptural supports for the Messiah and, and like things that are derived later into the story of Christ. And so, like, Isaiah is one. They would have known this text, and they would have straight up, like, they would have recognized what Paul was doing. And so understand that as we're reading this, we're talking about 
God's armor. Right? We're talking about God's gear, not about ours. I, I, like everybody else in the state of Montana, have a big metal cabinet in my house, right? And I, I have several rifles that I use for hunting, um, hopefully one that I'm going to use to shoot a skunk later this week, uh, you know, or, or what have you. Like, I have, I have these rifles, and these are mine, right? But it is the case that the way that God equips the church is not with our own strength, but with his, right? Because in this text, what we see is God is gearing up to go out and fight injustice and to oppose those who oppress his people. And, like, that's what he's doing. And as we look at this, we, as the body of Christ, right, because that's the other implication of this is, this is God equipping himself by equipping the church. Because the church is... Christ's body. Now, does that mean that every sermon that ever preached this text, which is almost 99% of them, that talks about this being like, hey guys, here's what you need to do. You need to put on your breastplate of righteousness and your helmet of salvation and your belt of truth and everything else. Like, that is for you. Does that mean that it's not true? No, it does apply. But the primary purpose here is the church. That changes a lot if you think about it. Right. It shifts the focus of the message. And for that matter, Ephesians itself, like the original context was like they would have gotten this letter and then they would have gathered. They would have had their service and somebody would have gotten up and like, all right, guys, I got a letter from Paul. Let me read it to you. Right. And they'd read it out loud and everybody would hear it and they would know it. And they'd probably read it over and over again. Right. Not necessarily in the same sitting. Would have been one of those things like, hey, guys, here's how Paul instructed us. Here it is. And you would read it because this was scripture. Right. And actually, even as early as the first century, Paul's words were considered to be scripture. Um, so Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. This is the end of the letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, there are three words there that make this sentence big. Right. Strong, strength, and might. What do those things have in common? And they're all about muscle, right? They're all about power. They're all about, like, well, I mean, strength, to, you know, use Paul's wording, right? Like, they're all about the strength that we have. But is it our strength? No, it's God's. It's God's gear we're talking about. It's his armor. It's his sword. It's his strength. Because, because... If you rely on what you've got, if you rely on yourself, you will not have any strength to muster, right? Um, I discovered this, like, when, our, when our, our, our skunk thing happened, if I went based on what was in my home at the time, there would be nobody in the first half of the pews. Y'all would be sitting in the back because we stunk. And we actually didn't get the really good stuff for dealing with it until later. Um, like from other people and from stores and from you know, yeah, from like as gifts. And actually I've got things coming in the mail from friends around the country who are like, hey, here's an ozone machine. I don't know what that is except that, you know, if I use chlorofluorocarbons, it'll wreck it, I guess. I don't know. That was a really obscure joke. Thanks for laughing at that. That was, uh, <laughs> um, 
So it's not our strength. It's God's strength. It's God's might. It's what, but like we're supposed to be strong in his strength, right? Um, it's a little like I was at uh, the Williams Farm here a few weeks ago and the, the, the 747, the Big Bud 747 showed up, right? Um, and, and they were putting wheels on it, and it was just a huge amount of work. And the thing, I've got pictures of it. I mean, the thing is it's ridiculous, right? And I know, actually, I've heard Callan talk about it, where they, get, they got a piece of equipment stuck, and they tried to pull it out of the mud with one tractor, and that tractor got stuck. And finally, they're like, all right, bring out the big bud. You know, and they got it, and it dragged everything out because it, it was the muscle, right? Now, that 747, it'll pull like an 80-foot implement. Does that sound right? I, I'm just, I'm parroting. I'm like a two-year-old, you know, like Daddy says. Um, but it'll pull like an 80-foot implement. Thing's a monster, right? If I go out there and I throw a chain over my shoulder and I dig in and pull real hard, in my own strength, I ain't moving nothing, right? Nothing. But you hook the 747 up to it and it's like, it's completely different. Um, God's strength is the equipment we use to accomplish. Um, we win our victories with him, not with us. So then we go on. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now here's the deal. My house smells bad. The problem is that there's no one to blame, right? And there's no one to punch, and there's no one to do anything. It is this weird in-the-air thing that has permeated everything. And so I open the drawer with, a, like, a lazy pants. Do you guys have those? Comfy pants is what we call them in my house, like pajama pants. I open that up the one day to get out a pair of pants, and I realized everything in the drawer smells bad. You know why? Because this invisible force hanging in the air has permeated everything. I, I can't walk around my house with a shotgun and shoot anything because there's nothing to shoot. It's everywhere and it's invisible. The fight that we fight with God's gear, with the strength he has given us, is not against, it's not against your neighbor. It's not against the media. It's not against movies. It's not against TV. It's not against, like, you know, liquor or pornography or the Internet or um, this political party or that political party or this guy or that guy. Or It's not against any of those people. The fight that we're fighting is against, it's against Satan. It's against evil. It is against the powers and principalities in this world. And because of that, nothing I have will work against it nothing i need a different source of strength and because of that like nothing i had in my house was good enough to fight it except for febreze and all febreze did was cover it up <laughs> though i'll tell you you spray febreze in a mask and wear it around now anyway um <laughs> so we're fighting this fight against something where we need a different weapon now, what does that look like? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And at this very moment, the reader is saying, oh, like in Isaiah, right? Put on God's armor. Put on God's strength. 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, the evil day is a weird phrase, and nobody knows exactly what it means. It might be eschatological, which means like end-of-the-world stuff. Probably it's a little bit of that and a little bit of the day when the whole house stinks, right? And we have those times. I'm guessing. It's not just me and not just skunks, right? You have times when there is something wrong, and it makes everything wrong, where relationship's broken, and it makes everything wrong. Or where you're feeling hopeless, or sick, or depressed, or lustful, or angry, or whatever, lonely. And it makes everything in the whole world wrong. And everything is tainted by it. And you look at it and you think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do about this? Like, that is the day of evil. Like, the day of evil is when we need God. Having and having done all to stand firm. And so in the, in the end, like what we're gearing up for is to stand, right? Now that's important because Christ won a victory on the cross. Like at Calvary, Christ won a victory. We are not an invading army sieging the world. We're a victorious army, right? The church puts on God's armor as a victorious entity. However... Having won a victory does not mean that the work is done. It means that we still have work to do. It means that we still have to move forward and deal with the, like the, the reality of the world that we live in. And for that, we have to be prepared and we have to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given the gospel of peace now we're going to do oh gosh i actually do have to keep those on because the print in this bible is unbelievably little um there's a great spot earlier in this particular book uh where like actually over and over again in this particular book in ephesians um paul talks about truth right like over and over and over again and truth 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 and here's the deal. Truth is not just, not just, telling the truth. Right? It is the antithesis, it is the opposite of the world we live in. Because the culture around us is a lie. Right? The culture around us that tells little girls, you're only valuable if a boy notices you. Not because you are an adopted princess of the king of the universe, right? Like, your value, like, like yeah, this scares me raising a very, very pretty little girl who is very energetic and outgoing that one day I'm going to have to deal with the reality that the world is lying to her over and over again and telling her that only your pretty face and only certain aspects of who you are give you value. Like, that's a lie. Her value comes from the fact that Christ poured his blood out for her, right? Her value comes from the fact that, like, God knew her before she was even born. Like, her value comes from the fact that she is a princess in God's kingdom, not because she's a pretend Disney princess. Like, that's a lie. The lie says it is better to indulge now and like what live, live fast, die young, and leave a beautiful corpse, right? 
you know, have a bucket list because this life is all there is. You know, if you've got money, treat yourself, right? Like, do whatever it is you have to do. Like, one person got that. Um, you know what, it, anyway. Um, the culture is a lie. And he actually says this, right? Like, this is in uh, Ephesians. I'm in the same book. This is Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Um, do not let the sun go down on your anger and let, give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work uh, with his own hands so that he may, also, so that may, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such thing that is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear on and on and on with that but like the idea being our culture is a lie and so we have to take a stance that's the opposite of it we speak the truth to our neighbors what is that truth the whole life we live is about christ like like get up in the morning it's a gift god gave you to serve jesus you know do things for other people you don't do it because you're earning coins that are going to go into the bank of going to heaven or not you do it because you are a new creation bought guaranteed salvation going to the promised land because christ died for you and now you are serving because that's what you are you gotta because you gotta because that's who you are now like the reality is that our culture is a lie and the the belt we put on which girds us up like the thing that holds the whole thing together is the truth that we are not a part of this world anymore that we are different that we recognize the lie that that's told to us that we recognize the falsehood and we do different. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is right out of Isaiah, right? I mean, like he pulled that right out of the text. And in this particular instance, the breastplate of righteousness actually means like right behavior or doing right. So what protects you primarily? The fact that you're doing the right thing over and over and over again. Satan can't come and whisper in my ear, you are a wicked man if I'm not like rolling around in the mud, right? Um Doing the right thing is treating the guy next to you the way Christ would treat them. It's standing in the church and behaving in a right way. As the church, if I stand up here and and rail against the culture being a lie, but do nothing to spread the truth in the culture, there's no breastplate of righteousness on me. And we as a church have done this really well. We have got a history, a legacy of amazing ministry stuff we do to spread the truth in the world around us, right? We have youth ministry that does amazing stuff that reaches kids who are not churched kids, right? Like Jeremy is an example of that. Um, Good News Club, which we've done for, I've been here, this would be the ninth year, right? Like um, it is a thing that spreads the truth to the culture around us. It's the truth. Like as a church, we have not shied away from this reality. And it is our job to continue to like act rightly to the world around us, to feed the hungry, to teach children about who Christ is, to, to go out and preach the gospel, to, to touch the lives of people who are broken and hurting. This is what we're here to do, and our right action protects us. Why? Because you can't say anything to the guy who's doing the right thing, right? You can't go to Mother Teresa and say, you know why she was a wicked person? Nobody's going to believe it. 
Why? Because she spent her whole life, like, taking care of people with leprosy, dying in gutters. Like, you can't say that she, you know, like, the reality is you can't do it. Like, your right behavior is your strongest defense. And God, like, puts on the breastplate of righteousness because God is always doing the right thing. And so I am putting on God's behavior. I am putting on God's actions, and I'm wearing it. And now I'm moving on to the next point because I think I maybe have, like, hung out in that too long. Um, and as shoes to your feet, the readiness that having been given by the gospel of peace. And so like the gospel itself, the gospel of peace, we are to bring to everybody else. We bring peace everywhere. The church's job is to bring peace. How often is it that the church fails in that? Churches should be a place of peace, not where a place where people are fighting. A place where people are beating each other up. A place where people are beating up the neighbors. A place where people are setting fire to the neighbor's lawn because we're so mad that they're doing this or that or whatever. We are here to bring peace to the culture. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. The church's job is to bring the truth. Is to, like, act right. And is to bring peace. We as a body... We as a body are to be, be at peace with each other. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, faith here is a trusting in the armor itself because God is doing all of the work. Right? And so you may kill me You might kill me, right? I might go out and preach the gospel to folks and they might kill me. Like it could happen, theoretically. Like, like, but I know that I'm saved. I know that this is, you you can't hurt me. I belong to Christ. Like I trust in God's power to do what's important. Um, We take the helmet of salvation. Now here's the deal. We are bringing salvation to the world. The church's job is to bring that salvation to folks. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now watch this. Which is the Word of God? Oftentimes we look at that and we say, this is Scripture. The phrase, Word of God, referring to Scripture, actually did not become common usage for another, like, 200 years after this was written. So what's he talking about? Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It might be talking about Jesus. What's the weapon I bring to save the world around me? What's the weapon I bring to to fight the principalities and the wicked things that are out there? I bring Jesus. Because not only is God my defender, not only is he a shield around me, as the Psalms say over and over and over again, right? He's the club that I bring into battle with me. Because Christ does the fighting for me. Um, I love... I love uh, David and Goliath. Everybody knows this story, right? Where David is ready to go out and fight Goliath, and Saul's like, hey, put on all of this stuff. You know, like, put on my helmet, wear my shield, carry my sword. He's like, hey, I can't even move carrying this stuff, right? And we do that sometimes. We try to equip ourselves with ineffective rules and measures and, like, like political power and other nonsense, and we say, this is God's sword. And in reality, it's Saul's sword, and God wasn't on Saul's side. And we try to go out and do battle with it, and we're stuck. And what does David say? David says, well, look, I belong to God, and God's going to fight for me. When David went out and fought Goliath, it wasn't David fighting Goliath. It was God fighting for David. That's the only reason David won. We love the story of the underdog and everything else, but David and Goliath isn't the story of the underdog. It's the story of the most powerful dog in the like, yard 
claiming his victory through David. It's not even about David. It's about God's strength. And so when we take up the shield of faith, um, we recognize and we carry like like that club, I'm sorry, the sword. When we pick up our sword, that club we carry is Christ himself. It's the same club that David carried against Goliath. It's the same club that like anybody who stands in God's place is carrying. It is Christ. Praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. Why is this important? Because we pray. Like at the end of the day, like if all of my strength comes from God, then I ain't training in the gym to fight. Training on my knees, right? Training in the scriptures. I am intensifying my relationship with God because that is that is my weapon. That is my shield. That is my everything. God does the fighting. God does the defending. And as the church were to complete his power by going out like David, not to fight some guy, but to fight the stink that is in the world around us. Sometimes, by the way, that means not your problem. Look around you. There are people around you who hurt. There are people around you who struggle. There are people around you who stumble. There are people around you who screw up. There are people around you you want to judge and look down on. And at the end of the day, like if it's a call to the church to do that stuff, then that means I go to you and help. A good friend of mine in uh, Indiana is an engineer, and he has all of these like cool understandings of everything. And he is mailing me this ozone machine. Right? Why? Because you turn it on and you walk away and it makes the house not stink. He said, you know what? I got just the weapon for you. Let me bring it to bear. And so it is with the church. I, I can't do everything. Right? But there are things that Jeremy can do that I can't. There are things that, you know, Rosa Neal can do that I can't. There are things that, that John can do that I can't. And the body of Christ, if we're wearing the armor... And we are the body of Christ. That means we take care of each other. That means we bring God's gear to bear within the body. It is an act of love that we live out toward each other. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. By the way, Paul is this guy who is all over the place preaching the gospel and is like obviously a very brilliant man. And what is he saying in the end? It comes from God. It's not me. It's God's gear, not mine. He's doing the work. I'm not. So pray for me that God does the speaking on my behalf when I open my mouth, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. An ambassador in chains. An ambassador is not a country. He's a representative of a ruler of a country. And so it is with all of us. So it is with the church, right? We are his ambassadors. Um, And so it is the last purpose of the church. We are his power. We're to bring God's gear to bear on the world around us. We're to do the work that needs to be done. Because having power, right, if you're not using it for nothing, what's the point? If the Williams is parked the 747 in the corner of the yard, doesn't it look pretty? Doesn't it look pretty? And it never does anything? What's the point? Muscle only works for you if you use it. 
And it's got to be something bigger and better than what we bring to the table. It's God's or it's nothing. So, uh, I had a couple other verses I wanted to touch on, but I'm going to uh, jump around here because I don't want to do all of them. Actually, there's this great spot where Paul is talking, and this is kind of to reemphasize this. Paul is talking about having this thorn in his side, right? He talks about how like God has blessed him in all of these ways and given him this huge revelations, and he's done all of this work, and to keep him from growing arrogant in, in, in the faith, God, uh, like Satan, comes and jabs him in the side with a thorn, right? And there are all kinds of theories about what this thorn was, like maybe he's going blind or maybe he was epileptic. One of my favorites is that Paul may have had a wife that was really horrible and back home. (laughs) It was constantly annoying him. (laughs) I don't know that that's probably well supported by the scriptures, but but it is funny. Um, And he says, listen, I got this thorn in my side and three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I I am content in weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when we are weak, when we are not trying to fight on our own, we pick up God's gear and we bring it to bear when i know i can't pull the tractor out of the mud i get i get the bigger tractor i get god's you know big wheels to pull it out right and so when we hit these spots where we're hurting and when we're lost and when we struggle it's those times where we're actually kind of blessed because we can back up and say you know what i can't do this myself god come here help me out uh. The, there's a spot, and this is actually a parallel text that I wanted to use, but I, I'm doing this for a reason. Like, um, Be on your guard. This is First Corinthians 16. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Actually, be strong is probably best translated as act like men, right? And it's sometimes they soften it because they say, oh, well, it's not a, you know, it should be gender neutral or this or that or the other. But, like, at the end of the day, that's, a, that's an illustration that presents a, something powerful, right? Act like men. I, uh, I, I, I'm using that here because our job is to stand up and be strong. And my encouragement for you guys this week, my challenge for you this week um, as you go out of here, as the church, our purpose is to do God's work. Our purpose is to put on his gear and to affect the world around us. And we have all of these purposes. We're supposed to show Christ to the world. We're supposed to be his body going where he can't. Um, you know, and, and we're supposed to uh, like do all of this stuff. But like most importantly, our job is to go. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about the mission of the church. But most important this week, understand you're to pick up God's gear. And my question is, are you? Are you? As a church, are we going out and finding ways to spread the truth? To share the truth of the lost and dying world? Are we praying for folks who are lost? Are we going out and offering care and love to people who are hurting? Are we bringing the gospel? Are we bringing peace? Is God doing our fighting? Or are we expecting someone else?
Let's pray, and I will let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. I pray that you would, as a church, that you would help us to stand together united. You would help us to to put on the armor of God. Like that you would help us to, to stand and to bring righteousness, to bring justice, bring truth to the world around us. Help us to speak the truth in love to, to folks who are just fed a steady diet of lies by the culture. Help us to, to show Christ to people who are hopeless. Help us to throw a lifeline to those who are drowning. Um, Lord God, I pray that, that in all things we would be Christ, um, that we would serve Christ, that we would glorify Christ. Amen.